right, if you can find your seat, we're going to continue on. Hope you got into a good conversation with someone. Once again, we're going to continue some connection time right after the service if people want to join us out in the courtyard. And we are going to start having connection time at 10 o'clock starting next week with some coffee. So it's going to be great. Really excited to have... Who's excited about coffee? Someone. Yeah, okay, just yeah. checking. Yes. I didn't, maybe the pandemic changed people, and all of a sudden they're not into coffee anymore? No. Who drink, started drinking more coffee because of the pandemic? Yeah, I know. Okay. All right. Well, I'm so excited to introduce my friend who is speaking here today, Dr. Joel Lawrence. And he is a friend of mine and a colleague of mine, up until just recently was a pastor at a local church, but was also before that one of my theology professors at Bethel Seminary. And now he's stepped into a role that I think is so critical and important. And it's, he's the executive director of what's called the Center for Pastor Theologians, talking about how important theology and good theology is for the local church. And that is such an important role. He's leading other pastors in that. And we have the gift of having him here today to continue our conversation, Why Church? So can you join in and welcome with me Dr. Joel Lawrence. Thank you. Thanks, Steph. Thanks. Good morning. I am, I am really excited to be here this morning. I'm, I'm just generally really excited this morning. The reason I am is um, I went to Texas A&M University. Do we have any college football fans out here? Some of you may know Texas A&M beat Alabama last night in a game that we never win. So I'm just, I'm like kind of floating on that already. And now to be here with you and to be at Mill City, I have been a fan of Mill City kind of from afar for a long time. I've known Michael Bender for a long time. I've known Pastor Steph. And I see some familiar faces out there, at least some familiar eyes out there. So it's great to be with you all this morning. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation. And I've been praying about and looking forward to this time. And if you would now join me as we pray and ask for God's Spirit to meet with us and ask for God's Spirit to speak to us this morning. Let's pray. Father God, I, I am so grateful for the opportunity to be here with this community. We are so grateful for the opportunity we have to gather as your church. And Father God, I, I confess that I, I am an unworthy vessel. And I pray for the miracle of your word going forth this morning, which I cannot do, which only your spirit can accomplish. And so, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to ask you a question. How do you feel when I say the word election? I sense a little uneasiness in the room. I, I sense maybe kind of a, a queasy feeling that you, you might be feeling within, maybe a, a sense of concern that that this word that for much of the history of our civic life as a country has been a, a thing that we have celebrated in the last year, it's been rough, hasn't it? And that word has become a word that, that brings these feelings of uneasiness. There's probably not a, a sense of joy that wells up in you when you hear the word election. 
and we wonder about what's coming next and what's going to happen in the future and what is this doing to my relationships and what is this doing to our country and what is this doing to the church and all the kind of things that have come out of the election of 2020. And we hear that word election and we feel uneasy. Now that's the political word election. Let me ask you now, how would you feel if I say the theological word election or predestination? How does that make you feel? I'm guessing that there's some uneasiness that comes with that word, with the theological term, the biblical term, election or predestination. Pastor Steph started this series last week called Why Church? And I'm thrilled to be here and and feel honored to be here to think together about this question this morning. I have given my life to serve the church. I have given myself to God to serve His church. And I can tell you that it is hard. And it is painful. And it is glorious to serve the church of God. I love the church. I love the church. But I have to say that right now, I think like many of us, I also have a deep sorrow at the condition of the church. I know I'm not alone in that. I know that many of us have a sorrow at the condition of the church, perhaps an anger at the church, perhaps deep hurt at the church. I get it. I understand it. I've been wounded by the church, and I have wounded the church. And yet, by God's grace, I love the church. And I think this question, why church, is so important. It is so critical that we have the right answer to that question. I think so much of what we are dealing with in our culture today as the church So much of what we are wrestling through and struggling with, so much of the the reason that all the junk that we're seeing that is coming out in the church and about the church is because we do not have the right answer to the question, why church? We've got lots of wrong answers to that question, and that has taken the church in lots of different destructive directions. See, you you can't have the right answer to the question, why church? The right biblical answers to this question. You can't have that and get theologies that support and defend racism and white supremacy. You can't have the right answer to that question, the biblical answer to that question, and have visions of the church as a wielder of worldly political power for our own sake. You can't have the right answer to that question and get atmospheres in churches that defend abusive patterns and abusive pastors in order to protect our attendance. 
You can't have the right answer to that question and get the church that we've got. And so we have a problem. And we have a lot of work to do as the church to get to the right answer. Why church? We have to have the right answer in this apocalyptic moment. We are in an apocalyptic moment as the church. And what I mean by that is not the apocalyptic moment of popular culture of, of blood and, and things being spilt, but the apop- apocalyptic moment of revelation. Right? That's what apocalypse means. Revelation. The last 18 months has been revelatory of all kinds of stuff and junk and brokenness about the church in the United States. And this is the moment for us to face that apocalypse and to get the right answer to the question to repent and to turn to Jesus Christ. And that's what I am excited about you all tackling this question. Why church? So why church? Well, here's the answer that I want to propose for you this morning. Why church? Because we are the elect. Because you, Mill City, are the elect. How do you feel about that? Make you a little bit nervous for me to say that? Maybe get that little queasy feeling? My guess is that some don't like it. It feels divisive. It feels elitist. You've seen the problem with the notion of we are the elect. And it goes even deeper than just what it does to the church. It goes to what does it say about the character of God? Right? In the way that we often think about this term, the elect, it's in this what, what theologians have called over time double predestination. This idea that God chooses some to be saved and he chooses some to be damned. And we think about that. What does that say about the character of God? How does that make sense of God? And it creates fear. Perhaps you grew up in a tradition of election, predestination, and and you know the fear. What if I'm not elect? What can I do about it? Well, if God chose, I can't do anything about it. Or it creates pride. We are elect. You are not. It has created damage to the church. But I want to tell you something that I believe. I believe that election is among the most joyful of words in the scriptures. And I want to convince you of that this morning. And if you don't know that, I want to convince you of that this morning. That when you leave here today, that you will go thrilled at your election. And to do that, we're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're just going to look at a couple of verses. The first couple of verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. I love the, the, the letter, 1 Peter. Maybe you haven't read it in a while. I would encourage you to read it. I think this is a profound letter for us at this time as a church, as the church. 1 Peter was written by Peter. Well done. Very good. 
It says this in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You probably know the story of Peter if you've been around church. We can go through the litany of Peter's screw-ups, right? All that Peter did and all that he misunderstood and, and all of the stuff about Peter. But what I love about Peter is he had an experience of God's grace, a profound experience when he betrayed Jesus the Messiah. And yet Jesus pulled Peter out of that pit and said, you, you, Peter, will be the rock upon which I build the church. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a messenger, one who is sent out into the world to proclaim and to live out the gospel of grace. And Peter is is pastoring churches. This is years now after his experience of walking with Jesus, of betraying Jesus, of being restored, of experiencing that grace. Now he's pastoring churches in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, the area of, of modern Turkey, Asia Minor. And he's writing this letter to these churches to encourage them. They're being persecuted. They're struggling. And he's writing a letter to encourage them. And look how he addresses them. In verse 1, to God's elect. To God's elect. This is what he calls the church. He says to all of these churches, these little scattered communities of followers of Jesus and little towns and villages across this region, we don't know how many would have received this letter, but when they opened up that letter, they said, this is from Peter, and he is calling us the elect. What does he mean by that? Does it mean you who are chosen to be saved while everyone else is condemned to go to hell? Is that what he's saying there? I don't think that's what he is saying there. I think that is a misunderstanding of the biblical theology of election. And I think it's been a tragedy that we have gotten this wrong. And it has not become a word of joy for us, but a word of divisiveness, a word of struggle. So what do we mean by election? What does Peter mean by election? What do the, what do the scriptures mean by election? The doctrine of election, the idea that God has elected a community to be his community, is rooted in the very heart of God. God is a God of love. When we say that God is triune, that God is trinity, what we're saying is God is love. Not merely that God loves simply as an attribute, but the essence of God is love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit dwelling together in eternal communal fellowship as one God in three persons, at the heart of whom is love, the fiery burning furnace of divine love for the Godhead. And then that love spills out in the creation because God desires to share himself with us. You ever wonder why you're on earth? You are on earth so that you can share in the love of the triune God. That's why you're on earth. That's why you exist. God is love, and he desires to share this community of life and love with us so that we might dwell in his love. But as the story of Scripture tells us, we reject that love. 
We reject divine fellowship. We, we reject God being Lord over us. And instead, we want to be our own gods. We want to be our own lords. We want to go our own way. And so humanity takes control of history. In Genesis chapter 3, we rebel against God. We take control of history. We take control of our own lives. We become our own gods. And through that, we bring death, destruction, coercion, division, relationships of power that we were never meant to have as those created in the image of the triune God of love. And that has profoundly shaped the world. And unfortunately, it has profoundly shaped the church. But God seeks and saves the lost. And so God, out of that furnace of love at the very center of divine life, sends himself through the Spirit into the world, and he elects a people called Israel. For what purpose does he elect Israel? Does God elect Israel so that they would be saved and everyone else would be condemned? That's not the story of the Old Testament. That's actually the problem with Israel is that they believed that when in fact what they were supposed to understand is that they were not called to be saved and everyone else condemned. They were called to be a testimony to the world of the love of God. They were called to embody in their life the very nature of God and through that to proclaim that the world that we have run away from God, that we still have a God who runs towards us and who seeks after us. And Israel was meant to be a trophy of God's grace, a vehicle of divine love to proclaim to the world that you can turn from your own ways and you can find the love of God through Yahweh. It's the election. It's not about God choosing some and rejecting others. Election is about the fact that we have left God, but he pursues us. And throughout the story of Scripture, God elects certain means communities to be the elect vessel of his grace that is to go out into the world that all might repent and turn to the Lord. Election declares that God sets apart a vessel with a unique purpose, which is the purpose of being holy, given over to the Lord. Every uh, evening before I go to bed, I eat life cereal. Every evening. If I'm home, before I get in bed, I eat life cereal. But here's where it gets weird. I don't eat it out of a bowl. I eat it out of a cup. But I don't just eat it out of any cup. I eat it out of this cup. I eat my bedtime cereal out of this cup. And if, 
At the end of the day, I go to the kitchen and I open the cupboard and I look up and my life cereal cup is not there because one of my knuckle-headed kids has taken it. There is a problem. We have a problem because this cup is set apart. Because this part, this cup is elect. It's elect by me for a special purpose. It's not a, it's not a great cup, is it? Like, just one of these red plastic cups. It's not about the cup that's particularly beautiful, but I have set my affections upon this cup. And this cup serves a unique purpose as my elect vessel of life. God elects vessels of life. God chooses vessels so that they themselves can be the vehicle of life. He did that with his people Israel. They misunderstood their election. They thought it was for themselves. And God has elected the church. In Christ, God has elected a people, his church, to be the vehicle of his life. This, this is your election, Mill City Church. You are elected by God to be the vehicle of life, to be the vehicle of God's grace in this community and in all the communities where you serve. You are elected by God. This is your identity. This is your purpose. This fills us with joy. It must fill us with joy. Because we, by God's grace, have been set apart to be a particular kind of people who have a particular mission to accept our election and to live it out. But there's one more piece there's one more piece. There's another word that Peter uses in this passage that's just been kind of sitting there. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. And then how does he describe these communities that he's writing the letter to? He describes them as exiles. To God's elect exiles. That should create some tension in us. Because when we think of elect, right, the way we normally think of it, that's like the, we're victorious. We're the winners. We're the ones that God chose. If we win an election, we're the people in power. We're the people who have been called. But he says, you are the elect. And that makes you exiles. Your election doesn't mean you get elected to power. Your election doesn't mean you get elected to be the most important people. Your election means that you've been set apart by God for a unique purpose. 
And that unique purpose means that you are exiles because you are not to give your hearts to any of the other purposes of the world, to any of the other things that the world strives for. You are not to give yourself to those things. An exile is someone who doesn't have a home, is a refugee. And what Peter is telling the churches and what Peter is telling us this morning is we don't have a home in this world, by which he means you are not to give your hearts to the things that this world gives its hearts to. You are not to strive after the things that the world has given itself to. Because you, the church of Jesus Christ, because you, Mill City Church, have a unique mission. Your mission is not to serve the goals of nations, the goals of power, the goals of the gods of mammon that rule over our world. You are to love your neighbor, not to coerce people into what you want. You are to be a vessel of grace, not to be a people of violence. You are called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in humility, not to force your vision upon the world. We are to proclaim that the world is in rebellion against God because it is. We are also to proclaim that we are in rebellion against God because we so often are. But ultimately, what we are to proclaim is the triune God, the furnace of love, who created us for a purpose, who pursues us for his purpose, who seeks after us when we run from him, and who has sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the ultimate elect exile. Jesus had no home. He tells us he had no place to lay his head. And when he called his disciples, he said, if you're going to come follow me, it's going to be rough. It's going to be tough. You're not going to have a place to lay your head. You're not going to have a place to call home. Ours is the mission of Jesus Christ who was elect by God, sent into this world with a particular mission, with a particular purpose to proclaim and to live out the grace of God and to call a world in rebellion against him back to the heart of God. Jesus was an exile. He didn't belong to the kingdoms of this earth. He refused that power because he knew the vanity of it. He knew the temptation of it. And he said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus was elect. Jesus was an exile. And we are the people of Jesus.
called to walk his way, to take up his cross, to follow him. You, Mill City Church, are the elect. Doesn't that fill you with joy? You are called by God to serve him as the vessel of his grace, as the vehicle of his love to the world that you might proclaim to a lost world that they can find life and returning to the triune God. What a blessing. What a joy. And I pray that you will be filled with that joy as you as the church live out your why church moment. That you as this church, be used by the Spirit of God as his instrument of grace. Our Heavenly Father, we are so profoundly grateful that you have set your love upon us. We are so profoundly grateful that in setting your love upon us, you have called us to be your elect instrument of grace in this community and to this world. God, we repent of our own brokenness. We all know that we are unworthy vessels, and yet you delight in taking unworthy vessels and making us your instrument of grace and your vehicle of love. I pray your blessing upon this community that you would use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.